Well, good morning, church family. Go ahead and grab a Bible, and hopefully there's a, there's a Bible in the, in the seats around you if you don't have one or you have a device with a Bible on it. And turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 3. We're going to read um, a section out of 3, and then we're going to spend most of our time in chapter 4 today. But if you're new, if you're a guest with us today, welcome. My name is uh, Scott Luck, and I'm one of the pastors here. And so as you're turning there, we have been in a, for the past several weeks, we've been in a series that we're calling King of Hearts. And we are in the Gospel of Luke in this series. And what Luke is trying to do, the reason why he wrote his Gospel is he's, he's really just trying to convince his readers that Jesus is King. It's really that simple. So his letter, I mean, his Gospel circulated all over the Mediterranean and people read it. And, um, and so he was really just trying to show Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is King. But there's another thing that he wanted to show, and that is this, that, that walking with God is a matter of the heart. That's what he wants to show. See, it was the, it was the belief back then, as it really is today in, in other religions of the world, that it really doesn't matter where your heart is. It, it just matters, you know, what you do, your, your religious practices. And so if you do all the right things, if you offer the right sacrifices and say the right prayers and, you know, do the, do the right things, then, you know, the gods will be happy with you. And I think what Jesus... What Jesus is saying and what Luke has captured Jesus saying is that walking with God is a matter of what's going on in your heart. That it's a matter of internals, not really externals. It's not a, it's not a matter of your performance. It's a matter of who you really are. And that's what Luke is trying to, Luke is trying to show us through this gospel. That, that specifically the gospel is a, is a matter of the heart. Now, the thing that we're going to look at today that's going to be a little bit different is this. That while the gospel is a matter of the heart, what we have to see is that there is a battle for the heart going on. That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to get right to the heart of the issue when it, when it comes to a spiritual battle or what is often called spiritual warfare. All right, So I'll, I'll share more with that in just a minute, but I want us to read... Uh, of chapter 3, 21 and 22, and then we're going to jump to chapter 4 and read verses 1 through 13. And I'm going to invite you, if you're willing and able, please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. So Luke writes this, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my beloved Son, and with you I am well pleased. Turn over to 4. We'll begin at verse 1. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory. For it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. 
And he took him to Jerusalem and sent him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you're the son of God, then throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. All right, so what's happening here? Well, there's a lot. And I want to really begin with a question. Let me just throw it out to you. When troubles come your way, what's usually the first thing that you think? You know, you're experiencing some kind of relational problem, some kind of spiritual problem, financial, physical problem, uh, some some kind of issue. Normally, what's the first thing that you think? What's the most natural thing to think? We, we typically think, man, God must be really mad at me today. I must have done something wrong. I must not be living right. God must not love me. And the implication is this. If he really loved me, then these things wouldn't be happening. Really, that's called Christian karma. And, the, and it goes something like this. And I, and I think as, as Christians, we will say that we believe by... You know, in grace, we believe in the grace of God, but we, we act like more. We fall into this default mode of, of really believing in what is called Christian karma. And Christian karma is the belief that if my life is going good, it must be because I'm doing something right. And my, if my life is going bad, it must be because I'm doing something wrong. And so it's really that. And I think what's happening here, what we see in this, in this story is is a story that really blows the concept of karma completely out of the water. It's the story of Jesus' baptism and his temptation. And what's fascinating about these, these two incidents is they really go together. And Luke puts them together for a reason, because he wants us to see a very, very important truth. He wants us to see that, you know, that this is really the pattern of much of life. I mean, just, just think about just think about this uh, for a minute. As you kind of think about these two separate events, Jesus' baptism and then his temptation, I, I think it gives an accurate picture of how life works most of the time for all of us. I mean, what pattern do you see? I think the pattern is this. Jesus goes from comfort to conflict. He goes from, he goes from affirmation to agitation. He goes from being surrounded by water, water everywhere, to in a dry desert. He goes from being completely refreshed to being completely parched. He goes from hearing the voice of heaven to hearing the voice of the enemy. He hears the voice of his father, voice appreciation. From there he hears the voice of the enemy giving him the voice of assault. Isn't that how life works most of the time? Isn't that how it works? What's fascinating about this is Jesus is living a perfectly sinless life. He's right in the middle of the will of God, and he's perfectly pleasing to God. And and this this is the pattern that his life goes through, particularly the last three years. His life experiences conflict, temptation, obstruction, and it ends in death. And he was right where God wanted him to be. You know, the reality is for you and for me that Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. In this world you're going to have difficulty, 
but take heart, I've overcome it. Now, our difficulty and, you know, this trouble that we experience is just such a part of life really comes from three different areas. It comes from the fact that we live in a fallen world. We live in a, we live in a sin-cursed world. This world is broken, okay? We know, you know, the weather's not working right. We know that our culture is not working right. The society that we live in, is not, it's not working right. I mean, we see that every day. So we live in a broken world. We also know that it's not only the world that's broken, but we're broken as well. That part of the reason why the world is broken is there's something broken within me. I mean, most of the time, you guys, I'm my biggest problem. I mean, my biggest problem is dealing with me. All right, so there you got, we have those two things. But then we have a third thing, and this is where it really what I want to focus on today. And, and that is this, that we have a real enemy who is against us. That Satan is real, his demons are real, and they hate God. They've set themselves up against the purposes of God, and they, they want to tear down the people of God. And that's what I want us to look at today. More than anything else, friends, you need to understand this, that you and I are in a battle. That you and I are in a spiritual battle every single day. And whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not, whether you recognize it or not, you're still in that battle. That Christianity specifically is a fight. And that, you know, for young Christians, I I think it's just kind of natural and just kind of uh, an immature thing to think that, okay, I'm going to do all the right things and then God's going to take it easy on me and I'm going to have an easy and comfortable life. It doesn't work that way. And, and usually when we go into that immature thinking, we get, you know, when, when life proves otherwise, because it always does, we get angry with God, and then we're just tempted to give up. Because it's just better not to fight, right? We just give up in discouragement and in depression. And, you know, I don't know if you know the name Jack, Jack Handy, but he's known for his odd sense of humor on Saturday Night Live. He, he would do the deep thoughts segment on Saturday Night Live. And, uh, but he's also written a book called Fuzzy Memories. And uh, he talks about a time when he was growing up, there was this bully at school every day would always steal his lunch money. Like always, every, every day. And he's like, I'm just, he, he made this decision, I'm going to fight back. And uh, he found some guy that knew karate that would give him karate training. And the problem was the karate instructor was going to charge $5 a lesson. He's like, you know, it's just easier to pay the bully. I'll just do that. It's a lot cheaper than do this. And he just gave up. And I think a lot of us as Christians do the same thing. You know, we look at spiritual, the spiritual battle that's around us every day. We look at Satan and we're like, I just give up. You know, I just give up to defeat and discouragement and depression. And so, and so we, we just think it's easier not to fight. Now, what's at stake? Here's what's at stake, you guys. Our hearts are at stake. That's what's at stake. That's what the battle is over. So when you give up, you're just, you're just giving up, right? You're just, you're just giving up your heart. And so what Luke does in this passage that we read, he brings us, he takes us right in the middle of the temptation of Jesus, and he shows us how Jesus overcame the enemy because what he's trying to say to us is we follow what Jesus did, we can overcome him as well. That's what we want to look at today. So what I want to do this morning, I want to give you three battle basics for the spiritual battle that you face every day and that I face every day. Here's number one. Would you write this down? I have to know my adversary. I think, 
I think the starting place of understanding just the battle that we're in is it starts with knowing my adversary, okay? We, we're in a battle. We have to know who the enemy is. That's just the simplest way that I can say it. Let me show you this in, in Luke 4, verse 1. And so it says this, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. Okay, we have two other gospel writers giving us this account, saying the exact same thing, that, that it's not, your adversary is not God. Your adversary is the devil. And that's who's doing the tempting here. Jesus was tempted by the devil. All right, so what I want you to see is that, you know, the, the, the basic that we need to understand is this, is that life is a battle. We have to know the adversary and we have to understand that it's the will of God for our lives to be subject to temptation, that we're going to experience temptation. We have to know that. we got to know that going in. We need to know this, that it's not sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted. You and I are going to be tempted. Okay, so when Jesus tempts us, if you give in to it, it just shows that you need to grow in grace. If, if, you, if you resist it, you're going you're gonna to grow stronger in your faith as a result of it. Now, James tells us a couple of interesting things. James tells us that God himself is not tempted by evil. And, he, and James also tells us that, that God never tempts us to do evil. God will test us to see if we will trust him. And he does that to make our faith stronger because your faith can only grow stronger when you put pressure on it but he will never tempt us. Satan tempts us. God never does. Does that make sense? And so that's at the heart of what's happening here. So what I'm, I'm in a roundabout way, what I'm trying to say is you have a real enemy. You have a target on your back. And the devil is personal, he is spiritual, and he's powerful. And what you have to understand is that he is not equal to God in any way, okay? He, there, it's not this, I, I think in some churches and, you know, maybe some books and just pop culture or just kind of present, you know, God and Satan kind of duking it out. And it's this kind of dualism thing going on, good versus evil, the good side of the force versus the bad side of the force. And, and, we, and we kind of think of it that way. Okay, I, I was, I was, I was on Twitter this week, and, and some pastor tweeted out. I forget who it was, but he, you know, he he tweeted out, Satan is a lion. Jesus is a lion. And the only difference is, Satan is a lion on a leash. And I thought that's really good. Because the reality is this: when we're talking about Satan versus Jesus in the battle. It's such an unfair fight. I mean, it just really is. You're talking about comparing a flea to an elephant. That's, that's about what we're comparing to. And so there's not this dualism that happens, you know, as we kind of frame it in, in pop culture or, or just, you know, in just our own thinking. Now, let me just say this as well, because I, I, people will ask me this stuff. So let me go ahead and answer it. You know, can a Christian be possessed by a demon? All right. Uh, the answer is that absolutely not. And it's really simple. You say, well, why? I'll say this, because you've been forgiven. You've been rescued. You've been redeemed. Okay, you've been adopted. 
You've been regenerated. You've been justified. You've been raised up. You've been filled, filled with the Spirit. And you've been sealed with the Spirit. That's nine things the Bible says about who you are in Christ. Okay? So, so nothing, what, what Jesus tells us in John's gospel, is nothing can take you out of the Father's hands. Okay? Nothing can. If you're in Christ, nothing can take you out of the Father's hands. You, another way of saying it is you're not your own. You've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus. You don't belong to Satan. You belong to God. Now, Satan can attack you, and he will attack you, and some of you, he is attacking you. And you know what he tells you? This is what he tells you. Satan is three things. He's a liar, he's a thief, and he's an accuser. All he does is lie, steal, and accuse. That's all he does. He lies to us by telling us that God is not good. He steals from us trying to steal our joy and our rest in God's grace. And then he accuses us of our past sins. He brings our past sins up and tries to get us to doubt who we really are and what God has done in our life. And he does it over and over and over again. That's what he does. Do you know why? Because Satan hates you. Because you, you are a son and daughter of God. You are a king's kid, and he, that puts a target on your back. And he hates anything related to the glory of God. And you are an expression of God's glorious grace in your life. So you need to be aware of what he does and the tricks that he p- tries to pull on you. So, so you know, I think, it's, I think it's tempting to see that, uh, you know, we look at other people in our lives that we're having, like, conflict with. You know, maybe a next-door neighbor, a classmate, or a coworker, And it's tempting to think, that's my enemy, okay? Not according to Scripture. You know, the Bible tells us that our, that our struggle, our battle, is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of the dark world, right? So that's what Ephesians 6 clearly states to us. In other words, your, your enemy is not your neighbor. Your enemy is not your classmate. Your enemy is the enemy. That's who your enemy is. And that's who is attacking us every single day. You know, it's, it's also fascinating just to notice how our culture handles evil and what they deal, what they do with Satan. Um, you know, secular humanism, which is the religion of our culture, it's, it's, it's the religion that um, our culture uses to try to get us to, to follow it. Um, they have no category for evil. They have no category for it. So somebody, you know, shoots scores of people in Las Vegas or at a high school in Florida, and they're, you know, you, you listen to how the news reports it, they don't even say the word evil, right? Because they don't have a category for that. Because they've rejected God and his word in that way. Now, C.S. Lewis talks about this, and I think there's a direct application for you and for me. Let me share you know, a quote about this whole issue. Notice, notice what C.S. Lewis says. He says this, there are two equal and opposite errors into, into which our race can fall about uh, in, related to the devil. He says, one is to believe in their existence, 
One is to disbelieve in their existence, and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. All right? So he says there's two errors in this way. One error is to not think about the devil at all. To not even, not even consider him. And if you're not even considering him, you're probably not considering what it means to be wholly consecrated to God and what, it, what sin is and what living a holy life to God is. So, so if you're not even thinking about him at all, you know, the, the devil's pleased with that. The other opposite extreme is, is very, very real as well. And that is where you blame everything on, on Satan. You're so consumed with Satan, all you think about is Satan. So that your eyes are not really on God, but your eyes are on the enemy. What C.S. Lewis says, the devils are pleased with both extremes. And so the devil's probably more involved in things than you think he is. And he's probably not as involved in places where you tend to give him the most credit. Here's, Here's the bottom line. Let me just bottom line it for you. As you think about your adversary, you have to understand that this place of living in God's grace... Living in God's love every single day, living in his blessing, that place is opposed by your enemy. Okay? It's just opposed. The enemy doesn't want you living in that place. He doesn't want you living in the sweet spot of God's spirit and blessing in your life. He just doesn't. And I think specifically what we see in this gospel is that Jesus' temptation follows his baptism. Every time you grow, every time you learn, every time you make progress, you know, in God's plan for your life, you just need to understand, church, a counterattack is coming. You just need to know that. You need, I mean, it's just kind of like you go to a men's retreat and God really speaks to your heart and he just gives you clarity or you're, you're reading a, a Christian book that God just really speaks to weaknesses in your life and or you go to a women's conference or whatever and God's doing so much in your life what normally happens after that a counterattack happens right because it, you know the enemy's not just going to sit back well they're just doing great spiritually we just we just need to leave them alone no you know he's he's coming after you because that's the adversary that you have all right so that's the first thing You need to know your adversary. Here's the second thing. I also have to know where the front is. I need to know where the battlefield is. Like if I'm in a battle, where's the battle being fought? And I think a lot of times we think think of spiritual warfare. We hear that language. we, We hear of Satan and his demons. We think supernatural. You know, we think in terms of, I don't know, the Discovery Channel and these paranormal experts are camping out in this haunted house and they got all these microphones and sensors and they're waiting to hear the, the voice of ghosts or demons or whatever. And, and we, we normally kind of think of that and it's just not relatable to us. That's just not, not, that's not our world. We, we think of spiritual warfare as something supernatural. Sometimes we think that the front lines is circumstantial. Okay, We, we think the front line of of our spiritual warfare is just circumstances in our life. So you stick your key in your ignition, you turn it, and it won't start, right? And so you think you're, 
You think your car is possessed by the devil. You think your battery, your battery's dead and it's possessed by a devil. It's not possessed by a devil. You just need a new battery. Just go get a new battery. It'll start just like that, right? Or, you know, you fail an exam and you think you just blame it on the enemy. The enemy's attacking you because you fail this exam. No, why don't you just try studying, you know, study for that exam. It makes a big difference. So, so it's not really circumstances um, and it's not really circumstantial or supernatural. A lot of times we think that the front line's is emotional. It's all in how we feel, right? So we're depressed, we're sad. Um, Satan's coming after us, right? That's, that's how we think. We think that's the front line. Now, please hear, what I'm, please hear what I'm saying. The enemy can't attack supernaturally. He's got power. And the enemy can attack your circumstances, the enemy can also attack your emotions. He can do all that. But that's not the primary battlefield. That's not where the front is. You know where the front is? You know where the primary front of spiritual battle really is? It's in your mind. It's your thought life. And the thing that I see is we think wrong thoughts about ourselves. And we think wrong thoughts about God. And we think wrong thoughts about the world. And it leaves us very vulnerable to attack. It leaves us very vulnerable to his lies. In Luke's gospel, chapter 4, Satan's, I mean, he's not doing anything extraordinary to Jesus. All he's doing is he's coming after the truth. He's trying to get Jesus to question the truth. That's all he does with you and me. He just wants us to doubt the truth. And it's not, it's, it's not anything extraordinary. I mean, he's not using smoke and mirrors and trying to scare Jesus. He's just trying to get Jesus to doubt who he is. All right, let me show you this. Look at verse 3. What does Satan say to him? If you are the son of God, you know, command this stone to be bread. It's like it's a conditional sentence. If you really are who you say you are, then just turn this stone into bread. Church, listen to me. Jesus knows who he is, right? But what is Satan doing? He's just twisting the truth. Look at the next one, verse 6. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. It already belongs to him. Do you see how he's twisting the truth? Verse 9, again, if you're the son of God. He's attacking him at his core identity. If you are the son of God. Jesus didn't say, well, you know, I'm not really sure. You know, I just had my father tell me at the baptism, this is my son whom I love and with whom I'm, but you know, maybe that's not true. You know, we do it all the time. Church, that's why we need the word of God. That's why we need a regular intake of the word of God. You know why? Because your enemy is lying to you every day and you are defenseless without this. You are vulnerable. And he will jerk your chain. Trust me on that. Now, to understand why this is so significant and what Satan is really trying to do, I think you got to go back to the baptism because I think the baptism is really the key to help us understand the temptation. So, so let me just kind of revisit the baptism for a minute, okay? So, so Luke doesn't tell us what the other gospel writers tell us about the baptism, okay? But here's, here's specifically what we, what we know from from all the gospel writers, and it's this. 
Jesus goes up to John and says, John, I want you to baptize me. John was completely taken off guard. He was like, what? What do you mean? Me? Baptize you? Are you kidding me? You know, you need to be baptizing me. Why are you taking my place? And what did Jesus say? He said, I'm doing it to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to be your substitute. I'm going to take your place because that's my mission. That's what I came to do. I'm going to live in your place. I'm going to repent in your place. I'm going to die in your place. And I'm going to be raised in your place so that one day you all will stand in his place. There is no better way to begin his ministry than with allowing John to baptize him. Because what he's doing is he's sending the message. Jesus is, my mission is substitution. That's what I came to do. I didn't come just to take care of the poor. I didn't come just to heal the sick. I didn't come just to preach nice sermons and give great teaching. I'm coming. I'm coming to give my all for them. All right? So that's huge. That is absolutely huge what's going on. That's the backdrop. Now, you have to understand that Satan doesn't want that. Satan doesn't want the substitution. Because that substitution is going to spread the glory of God for all that believe. And that's where the temptations come in. Let me just share, let me just share with you two of the temptations. The first temptation that he hits him with is, if you're the son of God, then tell these, tell these stones to become bread. Obviously, Jesus is hungry. He hasn't eaten in 40 days. So what is he trying to do? Jesus gave himself to be baptized by John because he's submitting to the mission and the will of the Father. And he's putting himself in a position to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to carry out the mission of substitution. What what Satan is saying is, look, use your power to feed your appetite. Use your strength to provide for yourself. Use your godliness to to fulfill your own desires, don't worry about the substitution stuff. Don't worry about the will of the Father. Don't lean on the power of the Holy Spirit. Lean on your power. You see, that's what he's trying to get him to do. He takes him to the very top of the temple. And he says, you know, the Old Testament, Jesus said, or Satan says, says that you're, you know, the angels will take care of you so that you won't even strike your foot against a rock. Why don't you just throw yourself down and let's just see them at work. Let's just see what they can do. Do you know what that is? That's the temptation to manipulation. And basically what what he's tempting him to do is this. He's, He's basically tempting him to say, you know, why don't you use your power? Why don't you make a choice to get the Father to do your will instead of you do the will of the Father? You know what the will of the Father was? It was substitution. See, these temptations are a direct assault on the mission of Jesus 
to be your substitute and mine. That, that is exactly what is happening here. You know, he takes him to the top of the mountain and he says, if you just worship me, you know, all of this can be yours. You, can, you just bow down to me, Satan says, and all of this can be yours. And, you know, it's basically tempting him away from giving his life on the cross and saying, you know, you can have the mountain without the valley. You can have the crown without the cross. You can have the glory without the suffering. It's just a shortcut because he doesn't want him substituting in our place. And so when Satan attacks you and when he attacks me, what he's trying to do is this. He, he's, he's just trying to get you to forget that Jesus is your substitute, that Jesus loves you, that he died for you. I mean, when he attacks you, does, does Satan make things levitate and just throw them at you? Does he do that? You can laugh. He doesn't do that, I promise. Does he try to possess you? No, he doesn't try to do that. Does he make the internet at your house go out when he's trying to attack you? Get you all upset? No. He just tries to get you to forget that you're loved. That you're loved by God. And that, and that, that God's love for you is not based on your performance. He just wants you to forget that. He wants you to understand. He, he, he wants you to, to rely on your strength and rely on your power. He, he, he wants to trick us into thinking it's all about me and what I can do. But notice, notice John 1.12. Notice, notice what John says. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Do you notice the past tense? He gave the right so it's all about believing and receiving in, in the gospel. It's believing and receiving in Jesus as the substitute. And so really where, where Satan was attacking Jesus is at the core of his identity, and that's where he attacks you and me. He wants us to forget that we're sons and daughters of God. It's just that simple, that we're loved by God, that he's going to provide for us, he's going to protect us, that he has great plans for us, and he's going to see us through. That's what he wants you to forget. And if, if we can forget that, then he is one. He is one. So here's the third battle basic that you have to know. i got to use my weapon. I, I've got to use my weapon, church. It's, it's not a matter of just saying no to the enemy. It's I've got to lean in on the word. I've got to lean in on scripture to combat the lies, the questions that the enemy throws out. I've got to bring to the word of God to, and bring it to bear on the lies of the enemy. And what, is, what does Jesus do very simply? It is written, it is written, it is written. He counters the attack with scripture. He, counter, he counters the attack with the truth of God. And that's how you and I get through it as well. But church, you can't use the word of God if you don't know the word of God, right? If, you've not, if you're not eating it and receiving it and meditating on it. And so Jesus says, you know, he tells him, man should not live by bread alone. He tells him, every, you know, man lives on every word that what? That comes from the mouth of God. And that's what we have to come back to. What does God's word say about you? He loves you. And we have proof right there. 
because he substituted for us. He loves you, church. And that's what the word says, that you, if you are in Christ, you are children of God. That is your fundamental identity. That is who you are. Regardless of how you feel, regardless how your life is going, regardless of the circumstances in your life, regardless of the lies the enemy is throwing at you, you're, you're children of God. And it's when you realize the love of the Savior for you in that while you were still sinners, Jesus died for you. Until you realize that, you'll never have power over the enemy. You'll never have power over the enemy until you realize his love for you. The best news of all, what defines you as a person and your worth as a person is not what you do and not what you know and not what you achieve. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, there's a gut-wrenching movie called The Elephant Man. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Um, I wasn't even sure if I should use this illustration, but here we go. Um, it's, 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 I think it's a true story, actually, about a man that is so disfigured that his parents literally gave him away. And um, the setting is Great Britain, and so they give him away, and I think... I think a carnival kind of picks him up, and he's a part of a freak show. He's treated like an animal, and people are so unkind. They're so unmean, so mean and unloving towards him. And, um, and so there, but there's a group of people that see this, and they kind of take him as their own, and uh, they love on him. They encourage him. They, they build relationship with him, and, you know, he, they teach him how to speak and relate to others. And, and there's this scene where... Um, you know, he's been completely rejected by his parents, completely rejected by his father and his mother. And he's sitting at, he's having tea with some of these people that love him. And he looks around and he says, you know, he said, uh, you know, if only my mother could see me with such wonderful friends, perhaps she would love me. Perhaps she would love me if she could just see the wonderful friends that I have. And he talks about how she, he was such a disappointment to his parents. Now, when I think about that, I think, you know, obviously I don't know what it's like to live that kind of life. But I do know this, that my worth and my value as a person is not based on the friends that I have. My worth and value as a person is not based on the things that I can accomplish or do. My worth and value as a person is not, you know, how many degrees I have on the wall, how smart I am, how gifted I am. My worth and value as a person is really based on what somebody is willing to give up for me. And Jesus, Jesus gave up everything for me. And maybe what the elephant man really needed to see, maybe really what he needed to hear was the words, you are a child of God. And God is pleased with you. You see, that's the gospel message, isn't it? And we're not, you know, we, we've never been rejected. We haven't suffered like the elephant man, but we say the same things, right? We say, oh, if I could just do this, if I could just do that, then I'd be loved. Then I'd be accepted. Then I'd be a person of worth and value. No, don't, 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 don't bet on it. You know why? Because you already are. And I think the key 
to overcoming the lies of the enemy is seeing who you are in Jesus Christ. I think that's the key. And that's where the enemy's going to come and attack. He's going to say, oh, God doesn't love you because you haven't been very good this week. God doesn't love you because you haven't done this and you haven't done that. He's just going to tell you God doesn't love you. He's going to get you to doubt that you are a child of God. You need to take him back to the word. You need to say, it is written, it is written, it is written. Because the word is ultimate reality. Not what we see here. Not what we even experience here. The ultimate reality is what what the Father says to us. You are my sons and daughters whom I love and with whom I'm well pleased. Do you believe that? Or you believe there's strings attached? It is written. There are no strings attached. So here's my last question. What lie of Satan are you believing? What what lie of the enemy are you falling for? The battle's for your heart. And so maybe what you need to do is replace the lie with the truth. Because it's the word of God that's going to last forever. The word is what we need to build our lives on because the word is what defines you. Let's pray together. Lord God, we want to pause in your presence because we're amazed at your love and grace. Lord, other religions tell us we need to do this and we need to do that and the world tells us we need to do this and do that and we go to school and we go to work and we're told we got to do this and do that. And sometimes it's just so easy to get the message that if we, if we do what's, if we just perform at an adequate level, then we'll know what it means to be loved. But I thank you that the gospel is this, that, that you, you died for us when we weren't performing very well. That you love us even when we are spiritually disfigured and Lord we just want to hear the word God in you we are sons and daughters of God loved by you would you just help us to see that would you help us to live in the reality of your grace to know that you that you love us and that you're going to protect us you're going to provide for us that you've given us purpose God that you've got great plans we would trust in that love and that we would dial into the voice of, your, of that love, the voice of your Holy Spirit, so that we will discern what the voice of the enemy is and that we would counter with, it is written, it is written, it is written. And so we thank you and we praise you. And we give you glory today and all of God's people said, amen.